Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. I'm Jason Shulman, and this is New Books in Australian and New Zealand Studies. My guest today is Lynn McCredden. She's a professor of literary studies at Deakin University. She's here to talk about her new book, The Fiction of Tim Winton, Earthed and Sacred, published in 2016 by Sydney University Press. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Jason. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, it's great to have you on. So, so Lynn, maybe you can start by telling us, who is Tim Winton, and, and how did you get interested in his writing? Ah, yes. Well, Tim Winton is a very well-known Australian writer. He's well-known partly through being set on the high school curriculum, a number of his novels, especially Cloud Street, his most famous work. Uh, but he's also known in the general readership too. He's, he's a, quite a popular writer in some definitions of that term, but he's also someone who others don't like at all. There's quite a split sort of audience for Tim Winton. Um, I first got interested in him by reading his books and having them leap off the page at me. They are in a quite a vernacular style. They um, replicate Australian, you know, colloquial language, down-to-earth characters in settings that as an Australian one recognises. Uh, and his work just, uh, as I said, leapt off at me. It's It's comic, it's tragic, it's, um, it's, it's wonderfully written prose too. So for me, he was always a winner. <laughs> um, for others, and we'll probably go into this a little bit, uh, he was, um, he is someone who divides audiences. Yeah, he really, he seems to be a really polarizing um, writer. Maybe you can tell us a little bit, do you remember the first, the first book of his that you read and the impression that it had on you? Yes, I think it was That Eye, the Sky, which is a slim novella, um, and actually it's written from the perspective of Ort Flack, who's a young boy experiencing a traumatic event, and that is the near death uh, by car accident of his father. And the father lies in the bedroom of the house um, with, uh, in a coma, and they think he's going to die. And it tells the story of this little boy who goes out and speaks to the, the sky and to the bush and asks, he believes that there's an eye watching them and he doesn't know whether that eye is going to bring his father back to them or whether it's going to be an evil, evil eye, if you like. And the little boy goes through some transformations, as does the father and the family. Uh, that's the first story I read and I think it's, a beautiful, moving, amazing story. It's a story about a little boy growing up in the country at one level. It's a story about resurrection at another level. So it's got an incredible number of uh, deep sort of themes that work throughout it. As a literature professor, you're very interested in not only literature but also religion. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about you know, what, what is sacred and, and what is secular uh, in, in Winton's writing. 
Yes, that's kind of the core of my interest in another way too. I'm interested not in religion as a kind of institutional phenomenon so much. I use the term sacred as a number of people have done throughout you know, the, the 20th century and before, to think about the ways in which our deepest meanings, our communally and individually held meanings, how they are made and held between people. So there can be religious beliefs, but it can also be communal uh, beliefs. It can be what is of deepest meaning, of, of quintessential meaning to people. Um, and meaning might not be necessarily um, logical and rational and cognitive meaning. It can also be feeling and a sense of presence a sense of the phenomenological world that is overwhelming. So it, it joins at one end with the romantics uh, in their sense of the awe and wonder, the sublime of Edmund Burke, but it also echoes out into amazingly um, wide circles with you know what is, what is um, seen as meaning-making for secular Australia. Now, I use that term, secular Australia, because I guess I do work from a basis that Australia is not a deeply religious country, not a deeply um, uh, emotive or emotional or... Um, yes, sense, the sense of the sacred is something that would embarrass a lot of Australians. However... Things are changing, I believe. And there's been, as you probably know, Jason, an incredible uh, development in um, interest and concern and knowledge about Indigenous Australia and how Indigenous Australians uh, find the land and place and our family and inheritance and the elders as sacred. And they are discoursing that more and more and more through um, political means, but also through the wonderful literature and uh, that's being written um, and the music that's being written by Indigenous Australians. Now, here are these white Australians, white settler Australians, and I'm one of those uh, from various backgrounds, European and otherwise, uh, and now increasingly from Muslim countries and Chinese, um, Thai, the Asian uh, uh, connections, and also Africa. And we can no longer, as a people in Australia, say, oh, I'm embarrassed by things sacred, or I, I don't like that kind of religious talk, because there are so many people of pious, devout, believing, practicing uh, belief in the sacred that we as a country, we, this diverse Australia, needs to acknowledge that there is, for many people, something called the sacred, something quintessential, traditional, uh, that they uh, need to be aware of. Um, and here's Tim Winton, uh, who grew up as a little Christian boy in Western Australia, in a family that went along to church every week, and he has definitely got a Christian background. That's one thing that many Australians are a bit wary of in Winton. Oh, isn't he a Christian? Doesn't he preach at us? Uh, is a comment you get, particularly from academics. I think academics, more than any Australians, are sort of allergic to the sacred. Um, not all, but a lot. Um, and they want to discard what he has to offer. However, no one is static, are they? Not a country, not an individual and Winton is um, changing and moving through his works. You can see a deeply thoughtful um, uh, mind at work 
thinking about what is sacredness, what is what what can we believe in? And at the moment, I had a, a, a nice dinner with Tim Winton in the midst of writing this book. He's quite a recluse, so I felt very honoured to be allowed to have um, uh, dinner with him, and we had a we had a we had a ball, we had a great time. But he calls himself now a Christian anarchist. So you can pump into that phrase what you like, but he's actually someone who is a seeker, a searcher, and someone who is um, considering both political and sacred elements of his understanding of Australia and the world, if you like. Mm-hmm. And to what extent do you think his kind of background in Western Australia is particularly insightful? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Here I am in Melbourne, you know, eastern uh, side of the country, falling in love with Tim Winton's works, um, not uncritically, but falling in love with them nevertheless. Those landscapes are absolutely central to his works. They are, you know, the ocean and surfing, as you probably know, Jason, are really important sort of images and scenes of his writing. Beaches and deserts and islands off the coast of Western Australia quintessentially Western Australian. That doesn't mean that other Australians don't understand those references. They certainly do, and they, they, they are not similar landscapes, but that similar world of beaches and the border between land and sea and so on is very familiar to all Australians. Um, and he, that, that's where he writes from. That's his heartland. That's where he now does a lot of activism about land and environment, um, that he's involved in. That's where his heart and mind and soul are. And he's never lived for very long outside of that landscape. He went to Ireland and Europe for a very short stay, but came running back to Western Australia. <laughs> he certainly, uh, you know, writes about place, but also, you know, you get the sense that he really cares about people. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what is his vision of how Australia should be, what Australia should look like. Mm, that's really perceptive of you, Jason, because it, people say, oh, yes, that's Tim Winton. He writes about surfing and boys and, and men and, and beaches. Yes, he does, but that's one level of his writing. He is very concerned with thinking about people in relation, uh, people in community, uh, where place and people come together, what is made there, what meanings are made for people. And so he does um, catch a bit of critical flack for being someone who writes about men a lot. And he does. He writes about little boys and boys growing up and men. But he also has women in there too, if people stop to look. Uh, and they are always integral to the scene. Um, they're probably never usually the main character. It's quite often men and men who are often working class, often disabled by their circumstances or by what life has thrown at them, who perhaps have no sense of purpose or meaning. Um, Tim, I don't think you'd mind me telling you this little story. He's often, if he's out um, where he lives north of Perth on the coastline, if he's out surfing, um, he says young guys paddle up to him while they're waiting for the wave and they will say uh, to him, aren't you Tim Winton? Because he's very um, recognisable. He has a long ponytail he's never lost since the 1970s. <laughs> and um, they'll say, I-, I read you at school and I really liked your book. I forget what it was called, but, you know, I really liked it. <laughs> and um, then they'll start to talk to him about 
Yeah, you had this sort of, the guys in it, I really liked them because I felt sorry for them and I, I could see that they didn't have anything to do in their lives and they were lost, you know, that kind of conversation. Now, it probably wasn't a lengthy conversation because the wave would have arrived, I suppose. <laughs> but um, he's interested in how working class, but also other classes relate to each other or don't relate to each other. He's interested at bottom in the way in which compassion, mercy, pity, um, a, a sense of justice are uh, exhibited and, and constructed between people. And he, in his um, quite controversial novel, Breath, um, which is, I won't go into the details of that, it's a wonderful read and quite received quite a lot of um, criticism for the relationship between an older woman and a younger boy um, and quite unorthodox sexual activities. And you could take that as you like in terms of, you know, um, monstrous activity and who seduced who and, and so on. But at the sort of the apex of that novel is a sense of unsettlement, of immorality, of who did what to whom. But there is also a character who, in the end, he says, after many years in therapy groups, uh, shuffling around on lino floors, uh, thinking about human beings and how monstrous they can be, he says that the character actually, said, the little boy who's now grown up, says, I have realised that people are not monsters. They are just um, frightened. They are fools. And I think that that ethics, if you like, of deep compassion and pity, even from the victim there, um, is really quintessential to Winton's um, sort of whole uh, ethos, if you like. That's right. Most of your book is arranged thematically. Each chapter kind of deals with different themes. You mentioned gender, fallenness, class. Towards the end of the book, you, you have sort of a quantitative section. How do you measure a, a writer's impact and why did you want to include that part of the book? Well, I wanted to very much so because, you know, there's a lot of talk, isn't there, about, oh, I don't read popular fiction. I only read literary fiction. Uh, that still circles around in all sorts of places. Um, and people say, oh, well, of course, Tim Winton, he's a popular writer and they want to kind of write him off in that way. Well, is he a popular writer? What does it mean to say that Tim Winton is popular um, and does that mean he's not literary? Well, my um, working through and getting hold of the figures, and they cost a lot of money to get hold of these days, Jason, you probably know that, to get <laughs> some of the sales figures. They're very closely held by certain companies. But if you look at the sales figures uh, in Australia, they'd be quite small by American and international terms, but they're big here. Cloud Street sold probably close to three quarters of a million books, which is uh, in the popular range. But the popular writers here, people like Bryce Courtney, Matt O'Reilly, um, or is it Matt Riley? I can't remember. And um, uh, Di Morrissey, for instance, they all sell a couple of million. So you've got you've got a, a scale there which puts Winton yes up towards the popular level, but nowhere near the kind of productivity of those popular writers who actually I checked they bring out a book a year. Those writers Bryce has now left us unfortunately, but he bought out a book a year for many years, and they live very well off their writing. Winton tends to bring books out every five to six years. Uh, he's not in the same stakes as that. So. 
He's also what I would consider a highly literary poetic writer, as you've probably heard from what I'm describing about his work. He is um, a beautiful writer of the transcendent, of the possibilities of hope and of resurrection, of redemption of different kinds. And so his works are equally about that. They're not plot-driven as much as by those sorts of themes. So I really wanted to pin down what people mean by the popular and the literary and to kind of, as a number of people are doing now, really question the, the hard line between those two categories. Lynn, last question before I let you go. Uh, what book should someone start with if they want to get intro- introduced to Winton? That's a good one, isn't it? Yes. Um, so many good books. <laughs> um, it's really hard to do that. I think a book that is a slow burner and is going to really take off more. And if you want to read something about the Australian landscape, but people within that landscape, maybe Dirt Music would be a good place to start. That's a middle career novel. um, And it's a brilliant sort of sexually um, adventurous, um, tragic, uh, amazingly in place kind of novel um, with an ambivalent ending, I'll leave readers to think about the ending as to whether there is redemption for the characters of a kind. But in it, this is why I call my um, critical work Earthed and Sacred. There is, I should have said this earlier maybe, but in Dirt Music, as with many of his works, there is not a division between kind of the earthed, lived, um, palpable, bodily world we live in and a sense of making of the sacred and living within a sacred space. They come together in his work all the time so that the sexual, the placed, the um, corporeal is not separate from and something one has to, you know, run away from. They are actually what lead you to a sense of, of what is sacred beyond yourself, beyond the earth, but connected to the earth. The dirt music would be my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lynn. That's Lynn McCredden. She's the author of The Fiction of Tim Winton, Earthed and Sacred, published in 2016 by Sydney University Press. Thanks for listening. I will see you next time.